Today, World Health is talking to Dr. Frank Pyfinch, founder of both major Australian GP management systems, first medical director, which was eventually sold to a company called HCN, and soon after he left HCN, best practice. Dr. Pyfinch has now clocked up more than 34 years in the Australian medical software sector, and with his wife, Lorraine, runs the largest and likely most well-positioned patient management product in the country, best practice. He's talking to us about where best practice came from and where, in a fast-changing digital world, it might be heading in the context of a more connected Australian healthcare system. So as a start, Frank, can you provide us with a quick and potted history of your start in electronic prescription software and give our listeners some sort of context of where BP has come from in the history, including a bit, of, a bit about Medical Director? Sure. It all started way back in the very late 1980s when I was a full-time GP in Bundaberg. And uh, around that time, I got interested in computers generally. And so I was playing around with databases and spreadsheets and stuff. And in about 1990, the Queensland government changed their Poisons Act to allow prescriptions to be typewritten, not handwritten as they had been in the past. And that made me think that I could probably um, write a program that would do repeat scripts for all my nursing home patients, which used to take me an hour some afternoons after the end of the surgery. Um, I'd sit with a big pile of charts and go through all the routine scripts that were owing to the nursing homes. So that was where it started. And I started using it more and more and started using it on on my desk um, for prescriptions during consultations and One of my partners started using, he bought a computer and put it on his desk and started using it too. And then a drug company rep came around one day and had a look at what we were doing and got really interested. And he spread the word to some other GPs. And in 1992, I was contacted by a GP from just north of Brisbane who said, I've been looking for something like this for the last year or so. And, and, you know, nobody's got anything. Um, Can I have a look at what you've got and so I packaged it up onto a disc and posted it down to him and he installed it and played with it and got back to me and said this is amazing there's nothing like this you should be selling this there's lots of doctors who love to be doing this (laughs) and so I thought oh yeah well why not had a talk to Lorraine about it and she said yeah give it a go and so we thought well we better come up with a name for it and a bit of do a little bit of marketing and so on um, so we decided we'd call it Medical Director and we took a trade display at the AMA annual computer day that they used to have once a year in Brisbane and um, we sold one off the, the, off the stand on the first outing <laughs> um, and we were, there was about 10 software vendors at the computer day, all the old ones, RX Medical, Amfac MedRecord, Medipack, MediLink, um, and none of them were actually printing prescriptions on their trade display. We were the only ones. We'd had some mock-up script paper printed, and we were just printing scripts and handing them out and saying, here's what you could be doing. And so we sold one on the spot, and that was September 1992. And after that, medical director grew and grew over the next few years and progressively took up more of my time, and so I had to change from full-time general practice to part-time and ended up by 1999, I was only doing two sessions a week in the practice and all the rest of the time was devoted to MD. Then uh, in 1999, we sold Medical Director to Health Communication Network and 
I stopped general practice altogether at that point and worked for HCN for the next four years. I wasn't entirely happy with the way that the product was heading. It was becoming more and more a vehicle for drug company advertising than a tool, a useful tool for GPs. So I decided to leave HCN, which I did in 2003, and I had a year off due to a non-competition clause in my contract. And during that year, I started writing best practice and thought, let's go back and take this product basically and take it to where it should have been going rather than where it went with HCN. And so that was how best practice was born. And that's pretty much it. So when you left um, HCN, what, what was there was one point, wasn't there, where medical director had um, merged with a MIMS version, uh, a MIMS attempt at um, competition, and the market share of medical director once was something like 90% of um, everyone who had a prescription software. Is that right? 85. 85. Yeah, I don't think it ever got to 90. It was certainly 85%, and that was in about 2002 when it was at its peak. Um, yeah, MIMS had a program called MIMS Script, which they marketed to GPs. There was other ones too. There was Locum and Medical Spectrum were all out there, but we had 85% market share. Yeah, and, and at some point during my time there, MIMS decided that they were pouring too much money into MIMS script and not really getting any numbers of users, so they decided to can it. And so it was all a bit complicated because the CEO of MIMS owned shares in HCN, but HCN at that time didn't use the MIMS product. And so that all changed and we started using MIMS in about 2001, thereabouts. Prior to that, we'd used a product that was marketed by the um, Pharmacy Guild, the APP Co. It was our source of drug information. And we changed using MIMS when MIMS script went out of business. So what you're, sort of descri- what you're describing here is an involvement from 1990 to 2020, 30 years, two companies running medical director when it was your own business and running best practice now as your own as mostly your own business can you describe the differences between medical director and now what you do with best practice this is when it is your own business <laughs> well they're a bit chalk and cheese yeah medical director i owned medical director the software i owned the ip i wrote the bulk of it um And then I partnered up and we formed a company called Medical Director Australia. And that consisted of myself with the software, Andrew McGuinness, who supplied the drug database, um, and a chap called Rupert Northcott, who I believe you knew, who was basically in charge of marketing. And as you know, we introduced in about 1994 the concept of having drug company advertising within the software and it was Rupert's task to go out and and uh, sell the advertising. And he was kind of the general manager of Medical Director Australia. Um, so we were very small and the Medical Director software side, we only had, I think, three or four employees. And we had a small office in Bundaberg and that's where all the development and support took place. So it, my, my sort of task in terms of running the company was pretty minimal 
and I did most of the programming myself. So it, it was pretty easy. As you know, best practice now is we've got 165 staff working from four offices in two countries. So it's a much bigger deal and it's obviously a lot more corporate structure. We have a series of layers of management and an executive team of three that do most of the day-to-day running and then I just basically steer the ship, if you know what I mean. Yeah, so so when you left Medical Director, when it, when it got sold, how many people did you have in it? I'm, I'm trying to remember. I think... And when we sold to Hastings, we had a, a little bit more than four or five. I think we got up to, I think we had about 700 sites. And I think we had about 20 people in the Bundaberg office when we sold to HCN. So it's still a fairly small business. Yeah, I didn't realise that it was that big a difference. And now how many sites? And So 20 staff to 165, 700 sites. Yeah, last count for best practice was about 4,900. Okay, so big differences between doing the two businesses. Yeah, yeah. Which one do you enjoy the most? I've enjoyed all of them. It's been a fascinating 30 years. I'm not going to say journey because that's a bit cliche, but, yeah, it's, it's there's been moments along the 30 years that have been enjoyable both in medical director and in best practice. But it's always good to see something that you've built be successful. It's a bit like having a child. <laughs> so m- most um, businesses with founders like you start with a purpose and they some that purpose sometimes changes. Does best practice as a business for its staff have a core purpose that you describe to them? Yes. I mean, it hasn't actually changed much from medical director's day. I mean, I started medical director obviously for my own personal use to make my day a bit easier and to take advantage of technology to take some of the drudgery out of the day's work. And it evolved a little bit and it started to be engaged in enhancing patient care and improving patient safety. And so they were important and they're still important now. And so we've been very focused on our users and trying to give them a good product that makes their day more efficient, makes their care optimal and safe and, you know, doesn't frustrate them. And you read, I read stories about software, particularly hospital software and software in the US, that the clinicians hate it because it's like an obstacle being put in their way that they have to fight with every day to to get it to do what they need. And we're trying to provide our customers with something that they actually want to use and that along with a customer-focused um, sales and support team, we want to try and if people ring up with issues, we want to try and fix them quickly and get them back working again. We, so we try to provide good customer service. That's a, a major focus of the, the team. Right. So if I'm going to jump you right forward now into the, into the havoc of COVID-19. COVID-19 seems, from a, di- from a digital health perspective, one of the things that seemed to happen was several of your big integrations, um, I might not have them all right, but Hot Dog Health Engine, some telehealth providers, very rapidly changed their offering to, to doctors in order to do things like screen for COVID and, um, and then introduce telehealth, telehealth items and do things like that. And on the back of that, 
some of these some of these apps, Hot Dog Health Engine, are growing have been growing fairly rapidly in COVID nineteen. Are you growing? I'm not entirely convinced of that. We have heard anecdotally that a lot of practices stopped using Hot Dog and Health Engine and the like because they couldn't screen people adequately um, via the when the point when the appointment was being made online, especially if it was after hours. And even though people might answer a questionnaire saying they don't have any symptoms, they were still sometimes turning up with symptoms. So quite a number of told us that they've turned off um, online appointment booking. And telehealth, although there's you know a plethora of telehealth item numbers were introduced, my understanding is that 90% of it is basically just telephone-based and the actual video consults are a very small part of the telehealth that is being used. And you don't really need hot dog or health engine to do a telephone consultation. So I'm, I'm certain that they've done as well out of COVID-19 as you're suggesting, but obviously ask them about that. Has BP grown? Not in any particular way. I mean, we have a slow but steady growth that has been continuing for the last 14 years and it's continuing to go up, but it's only, there's been no dramatic surge or change or anything. There's certainly been no fall. Yeah. Um, you've given me a little bit of a segue there because you have a lot of these um, external cloud-based integrations uh, as a part of BP, but you've also launched a health app, uh, which is between the directly between the patient and the doctor, and you have access to something like 12 million patients, potentially. But potentially, half, you know, half to a bit more than half the patients in Australia you have access to. And if that health app took, what would the relationship between you and these uh, integrators, what, what path might it take as a result of that? Because I look at that and I think, well, if if you if that did take, and it's not likely that it would take, I guess, fully ever. And I, I guess I can see some some ways you can have the relationship, but it it must cause some tension because if you get a big chunk, then you don't need them to do appointments, for instance. Yeah, I know it's it's a complex question, and we feel that the app is a important step in getting improved communication between practices and patients, and. Unfortunately, you know, there will be some people who will prefer to have an all-in-one solution where the appointment booking can be done through the app. At the moment, we don't offer our own appointment booking through the app. We allow the practice to continue using the whatever existing online appointments they're using. But, you know, at some point in the future, we probably will introduce our own because it's just logical and it all fits together and people will want a one solution provides all and a one one stop when they need support and so on. So it'll be interesting to see what how that pans out. But I think the the other the existing online appointment booking services will make the they'll they'll make their offerings competitive and price GPs are very price sensitive. So, you know, we'll we'll see some more competitive offerings probably. And we're cannibalising with the app. We're actually cannibalising our own revenues to some extent because people are sending less SMSs if they're using the app and we make a small profit on every SMS. But if, if they send messages via the app, 
we don't get that same same percentage of the of the cost of the service if you know what i mean so there's a must the, one of the things you see about the hot dogs and the health and the health in maybe more hot dog than health engine i'm not sure but and even some of the telehealth providers is that they have an architecture that makes them able to move really fast and if you take a hot dog they're, they're just concentrating on just a few things which sync quite neatly with with medical director and best practice and medical director and best practice then have to contend with their core functionality versus moving outwards into the functionality that these other providers are doing. And it's some sort of, I guess it's some sort of um, balancing act in terms of where you put your, your, your development resources and, and what your strategy is. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's difficult. We've got so many partners now in our partnership program. There's over, I think, 150 or more. And a lot of them focus on fairly narrow areas like, you know, kiosks for check-in and that sort of stuff. And so in some ways they are a bit vulnerable if, um, if we were to do the same thing ourselves. Luckily, we're not interested in doing everything. We do have core functionality and, and we have, a, as you know, a, a focus at the moment on moving ourselves into the cloud and that's taking up pretty much all of our development time so we don't really have time to be working on some of these peripheral issues so you know i think there's a market for all these people still so so it'll you sort of see it might unfold and it's not really clear how it's going to unfold but bp's working on a cloud version with regards to a cloud version if if you look back um, people would say that BP's been fairly savvy and at times you've been quoted as saying, well, you actually haven't been quoted, but I, I sense that you thought the market wasn't ready for cloud and it definitely wasn't ready in terms of general practice. But what we've seen with COVID now is some pretty rapid turnaround things by government. Now, that doesn't necessarily affect uh, primary care, but if the government's turning to the cloud now, and there are some cloud applications out there and, and people are moving more to wanting to integrate fast and change fast. What's the, the plan now for a BP cloud version? And, and when do you think it might be there? And when, the other thing is when it's there, what, how do you see the changeover between the current footprint that you've got and, and people moving to cloud? I'm, getting, I'm going a long way here. And, the, and then what the, what the actual revenue model might be. Well, I mean, there'll be a obviously a change in revenue model. There'll obviously be a need for a conversion of existing data to be ported into the new cloud-based um, application. We've got people working on all of that, but we don't. We haven't finalised, for example, a pricing model yet. But it'll most likely be some sort of a monthly fee based on activity or or access. We have people coming up with models and presenting them to us and we've still got decisions to make there. I think the bulk of people will be a bit slow to take up a cloud offering. There'll be various reasons for that because GPs are innately fairly conservative. So I don't think we'll see everyone change over within six months. It'll probably be a couple of years. There'll be doctors who are getting close to retiring who won't bother wanting to change to a new program. Um, you know, so so the existing on-prem product will be in existence for at least a, a couple more years, and um, 
yeah, we'll see people progressively moving across like we have in the past with other things. Um, people moving from MD to BP. It's been 15 years. <laughs> so so can, you, can you make any comment on, because MD came out with a, what they said was a cloud product, which was Helix, and then Medi Records came out with a cloud product. Both of them failed to get traction, substantively failed to get traction. Do you have a sense of why that's happened and do you see those products now as something that is is now um, in play as you move forward in terms of moving, uh, moving BP to cloud? Personally, I've not ever seen either Helix or Med Records, Medi Records, so... I don't know what the functionality is like, but my understanding with Helix anyway was that it lacked most of the functionality that people use every day and therefore it wasn't fit for purpose. We were told of a site where it was installed and within 24 hours it was taken out again and it hasn't been installed in another site of that um, groups since. So I, I think people underestimate how richly featured programs like Medical Director and Best Practice are and how much the GPs actually do use that rich functionality. And, I mean, I remember when we were trying to convince people to move from MD to BP, even though BP was at the time was a more stable product because of its SQL architecture, people would say to me, have you got the asthma action plan yet? And I say, no, that's in future release. And they say, oh, we'll wait for that because we use it every day. And it's like, you know, that's one of hundreds of small modules that are in BP and MD that, you know, if people don't have it, they don't want to, they don't want to move, which is why we've taken a slightly different tack and decided that the, the cloud product for GPs will have to be fully featured before we release it. So... Complex functionality, uh, a user interface people are used to working with and and all the integrations you need. So there's a no-fuss changeover, really. There's no argument for changeover once it comes. That's, that's the target. And obviously that's um, a lot of work. I mean, we're trying to replicate 15 or 17 or something years worth of work in a two or three year time frame. And we've got a lot more people doing it because I did a lot of the stuff by myself in the early days of BP, but even with you know quite a large team, it's still a lot of work and it takes time. Having said that, we've now been doing it for a little over two years. We've actually, we had a false start initially, which um, set us back a year or so in that we didn't really, when we started redeveloping the product, we were looking at moving to a web-based product, but it wasn't necessarily a cloud-based product. And as we went along, we realized that we actually had to re-architect some of the core of what we were doing to make it a, a true cloud product. Um, so we kind of had to start again with some of the, the database work and the actual architecture. And we've done all that now. That's all behind us. And now we are working on progressively adding features so it's uh do you have a rough have you, you you probably have a rough timetable that i don't know about but do you have a rough timetable for when you think you might be yeah i mean we will release a cloud product probably in stages in that we're actually targeting moving some of our bp allied customers who are already on the hosted servers and using the um bp allied product that we bought a couple of years ago and um, 
many of them have lesser needs than GPs, people like physios, psychologists and so on. And so it may be that we actually look at BP Ally product before we get to GP product. So um, internally, we're looking at how we name and market all these things. It's uh, possible then that with that early sort of functionality, some doctors, particularly some specialists who don't need a lot of the tools that we provide for GPs, may decide that they can use that because they'll have an appointment book, they'll have a place to record notes, they'll have word processing facilities, they'll have billing. Um, and if, if that's all they need, then, you know, they can take it up. Looking at another advantage that you have here, which is you've got such a broad customer base that you can pick and choose who to introduce the lower functionality to first because they, they only use lower functionality and you're just taking a loyal customer from one platform to another and as you're doing that you're moving you're moving your knowledge base up as you move toward the more the more complex task of actually bringing out a gp cloud system that's exactly right by the time the gp version is ready we'll have already probably hundreds of users on the core platform who aren't gps they'll be as i say allied health and specialty users so that'll give us you know we'll we'll be building up We've already been working on, you know, back-end stuff. It's all a bit out of my area of knowledge, but I know that we've got DevOps team that do a lot of stuff managing the database and managing the way releases are updated and so on and so forth. We, I mean, we have a functional prototype at the moment. It's just not ready for GP release yet. Do you think that the corporates will move in any time, because you'd imagine that IPN or Helios or My Health, uh, especially someone like IPN who has a massive server-based infrastructure, local server-based infrastructure, and then an overlay for all of their practices, the, the savings they could create with a working cloud product, and and I guess most of IPN is our best practice. Are you able to, to, have, to have any inside loop on whether any of the corporates are thinking this way sooner rather than later? I think, again, that they need to be certain that the product is ready for use in their clinics. And again, if, if there's functionality that they need and, and that's not available, then they're going to wait. And, that, and the, the Helix, Helix might be a warning, a warning story on that, given what happened with Helios. I mean, I, I don't know the ins and outs of why they released it early, so early, but I've been told that, that the uh, Affinity Equity Group are trying to sell Medical Director and it, I think, would have been more saleable if they'd had a cloud product out in the market and so there was some pressure to release while they were active. And it had traction. Yeah, that's right. So, so you know, I don't think people like IPN and, and the other corporate groups are as worried about having a cloud product as they are about having a functional product. So, you know, we're certainly not getting any pressure to, to um, speed things up. But certainly, you know, if we can speed things up, we'll certainly do it. And at the moment, we're reinvesting every cent in the development of the future product. So if we can boost that, well. So um, you, you also invest, invested in New Zealand. And I, I know we're talking about private equity um, 
the largest patient management provider there, MedTech, just got bought by a private equity group. New Zealand's a more complex market because of the data requirements that have to be spat out the back of the patient management systems. There are a lot of issues in New Zealand that are that make it a more complex market. In some ways, they were ahead of Australia in, in some of the electronic reporting and things like their immunisation registers, and they, they were all a lot more a, a lot more developed than what we've had here. And the ACCC claiming and all that sort of stuff, it's all quite complex. And um, we've decided that rather than trying to modify BP Premier to deal with it, we'll just do it for the cloud product. And so that's our current strategy. MedTech changing hands is an interesting um, development, but we actually know Jeff Sayer quite well. I don't know if you know Jeff, but Jeff originally worked at HCN, driving the General Practice Research Network. And so I know Jeff quite well. I've known him for years and we, we meet periodically and discuss things. And so it's going to be interesting to see what happens when we're competitors. <laughs> but that's, you know. So there, it looks like we're moving to a lot of inflection points in terms of connectivity in all of digital health. But if you cast forward and say BP's released a cloud, gotten to its cloud version for general practice, they're, they're, they've transferred a lot of GPs over. This is um, years into the future. And if you think about what a connected future might look like, uh, and it looks a lot better than it did before COVID-19, I think, because of so many things that the government just waved through, like electronic prescribing and things like that, and, and they seem to have a better appetite and more and a more effective approach. What do you think... Do you think that the hub that is going to be a GP's patient management system may probably on the cloud, connected with everything, do you, how, how important do you think that hub is going to be for a future of a healthcare system that we're told is we're going to have to be intimately connected to allied and pri- primary and allied is going to be, have to be intimately connected to manage and, and then probably with hospitals as well? Yeah, I mean... I think it makes it a lot easier in many ways to um, to get that sort of connectivity happening when you've got a cloud product. And certainly we want our own users to be absolutely, totally connected. If they're an allied health practice, they should be able to connect to their GP practice and the specialists should be able to, you know, communicate with the GP practices. So, you know, that level of connectivity should be almost native to the application because it is going to be the same application across the entire spectrum of our customers, whereas at the moment we've got four applications in the marketplace. Um, So we'll have one application which can be configured for a variety of different users. Connectivity with public hospitals, that's another story. We don't get approached by them very much to actually do anything um, to improve connectivity currently. It's basically just secure messaging and every state does it differently and uses a different provider and we have lots of kludges to try and make it work. Whether they'll be more open to communicating with primary care, hard question and not one I can really answer. But it is surprising. In in this day and age, do you find it surprising that that hospitals, that states are fairly obsessed with building big new hospitals and they build them and they're still not contemplating that well 
connectivity to primary care. So if you take, an example, the Northern Beaches Hospital, which, which was a private public build, but in terms of talking to local GPs, initially, not so much now maybe, but initially it was just a complete joke, I think. I believe that's true. Um, yeah, I mean, in some ways my personal belief is that the Commonwealth should take over health from the states and, and have a single system not necessarily like the NHS in the UK because it has problems of its own, but certainly I think um, there's a lot of duplication, there's a lot of cost shifting um, goes on between the states and the federal government. All of that could be eliminated by having a single health department for the country. And New Zealand is a little bit out of us with that. Do you think that you certainly can't see... So Kevin Rudd nudged towards that once and got quickly shut down. But if you look at the current setup between the states and, and the dumping of COAG, that, do you think there might be something where um, the health departments of the various state governments and the federal government come together more functionally in an integrated manner? Is it feasible now post-COVID, do you think? Because that seems to be the only path to get to that. I mean, it's certainly feasible. And I mean, the national cabinet concept has been good and certainly an improvement on COAG that, you know, I think met three or four times a year. Um, the concept of a national cabinet seems to have worked quite well for COVID, although the states still all did their own thing ultimately, but at least they all knew what each other were going to do and, and they all knew what the federal government wanted them to do. So it, it did, you know, I think it was a more coherent response to the pandemic than it could have been otherwise. But whether after COVID there'll be still an appetite for that is always a bit unclear. And state governments, I mean, half of them are on one side of politics and half are on the other. You're never going to get them all to agree with each other. And I've, I've got a sad feeling that once COVID is passed, they'll all just go back to their old ways. I think the only way the federal government would ever get the health departments to or the states to relinquish their health departments to federal control would be with a huge sum of money. <laughs> Frank, if you cast forward 10 years, what do you think the landscape's going to look like? Uh, what do you think, where do you think best practice will be in that landscape and who will own best practice and run it? That's a really good question and I actually don't know all the answers. Um, in 10 years' time, I'll be 71, <laughs> so I know that I won't be still working. I'll be hopefully still around. <laughs> um, I mean, I'd like to see best practice at that point in time being, um, you know, still the primary care system that is being used by GPs and I'd like to see it sticking to its core values of quality and, you know, making practices more efficient and easing the burden of day-to-day -day, um, work for GPs. I'd like to see it all more connected and talking to other applications and state-owned hospitals, etc. Um, and we're working towards all that sort of stuff. I'd like to see the app, you know, being widely used and more fully integrated so that communication between practices and their patients would be seamless. You know, it'd be good to see the app being used for telehealth and the app perhaps, you know, app-based consultations being funded by Medicare. So there's lots of things that could happen. But um, 
as to who might own best practice? That's a really hard question. I would have thought that at some stage someone would like to take it off our hands, but we haven't had any particular offers <laughs> recently. But uh, and, and and I'm assuming that if you do get an offer, you're you're going to want someone who continues to to champion the core of the company. Not you've had offers in the past where you just thought that's a good offer, but this isn't the right company. Yeah, that's right. We've had a few. And I mean, our um, experience has obviously been a bit sort of spoiled by our period at HCN where we were unhappy with the way management took the product after we'd sold it to them. And despite things they'd pretty much pledged before the sale, things went differently afterwards. And we realised that, you know, once you relinquish control, that's it. Someone else owns it. They can do with it what they what they want. Um, so yeah, we're obviously looking out for a, a, a good suitor, I guess you'd call it. And I'm personally interested in staying until we have our GP Cloud product out and make sure that that part of the um, project has been achieved. And I think once we've got that out there and it's stable and it's starting to take off and the users are converting and getting take up, then I'm probably going to look at getting out of it because I'll have been doing it for about 34 years by then, which, uh, you know, I think go out on a high. That would be a high too. Well, Frank, as ever, it's been fascinating talking to you and it's going to be very interesting to see what happens as um, best practice moves in inevitably towards its cloud version and what that does to a connected healthcare system in Australia. Thanks very much for taking the time to talk to World Health. If you've enjoyed this World Health podcast, there's a lot more on our website at worldhealth.net.au and lots of news and analysis on digital health as well. Thanks to our parent publication, The Medical Republic, to Peter Birch and Talking Health Tech, to our producer, Talia Mayer of Katz, and to our principal sponsor, Telstra Health. See you next time.